What's going on, coaches? You are tuned in to episode 27 of Keep Your Pads Down. We are a podcast devoted to defensive line play, but occasionally we do step outside of the lanes of life in the trenches to explore topics that run parallel to things that matter to us, defensive line coaches, and today is one of those episodes where we unpack a topic that should be on the forefront of the minds of all coaches, no matter the sport. Yeah, I mean, if, if you are coaching amateur athletes from your kid's soccer team, like I coached my, my, my daughter's 5U soccer team in the spring. I tell you, that was an experience. Uh, maybe you're an AAU basketball coach. Uh, maybe you coach travel baseball. Or you're a high school DBs coach or maybe a, a, a junior high volleyball coach. Today's episode is going to be relevant for you. Today, we're talking with Dr. Stephen Horowitz, founder of Team Safe Sports. Dr. Horowitz is a graduate of Cornell University and the National University of Health Sciences. He was selected by the USOC to be the sole chiropractor on the U.S. Olympic team medical staff for the 1996 Summer Olympics held in Atlanta, Georgia. He has traveled internationally with USATF and consulted with several Division I sports programs. He was the chairman of the Maryland Council on Physical Fitness, the Maryland director of the NSCA, and the co-chair of the Care and Prevention of Sports Injuries Program in Montgomery County, Maryland. Dr. Horwitz is also a two-time champion of the Tactical Strength Challenge Masters Division, and as I mentioned earlier, he is the founder of Team Safe Sports. So coaches, we all spend a a ton of time, especially this time of year, game planning, watching film, going over our practice plans, but I think if we're being honest with ourselves, many of us, myself included, could do a better job of having a plan in place for training our athletes in a way that prepares them for competition, but also keeps them safe, and what to do when one of our athletes becomes injured in practice or in competition. Uh, Not all of us are fortunate enough to have a trainer on our staff. Uh, Sometimes that's left to us as coaches. And so today, Dr. Horwitz offers some great advice and insight for those of us who are overseeing the training of young athletes. And I think that in order for you to get something from today's episode, because I think there is no shortage of great information that we share today, but I think that in order for you to grow today, it's going to require some some checking of egos and a dose of humility because for us as coaches there's nothing that should supersede the safety of our athletes so here we go let's uh let's go ahead and dive in to episode 27 of kypd Dr. Horwitz, welcome to the podcast. We are tackling a topic for a first time on this on this podcast, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today to impart your knowledge and insight on this subject. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, your background in the fields of sports medicine is, is impressive to say the least. So catch us up to speed on your history in those areas and your a little bit on your background. Well, thank you very much, Ty. I really appreciate the invite, and I'm really looking forward to uh, our discussion. Um, Briefly, my background, uh, went to college at Cornell University, made a big left turn from a history major and decided to go into uh, medical, but not your standard medical. I actually had a kind of a poor experience with an orthopedic surgeon for an injury I sustained and um, took a bit of a left turn again and started to look at chiropractic school and uh, was frankly told that wasn't a proper choice for somebody who's gone to a school like Cornell, but decided on that anyway. And, um, you know, now almost 35 years later, very glad I did make that decision. 
because uh, we have a little different different way of uh, looking at, at injuries and, and conditions. So I, I went to chiropractic school in Chicago, and then um, I also got very into weight training and weightlifting. I started in college, and uh, frankly, at chiropractic school, met some of the top lifter, uh, power lifters in the country. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, one of my classmates was on the cover of a magazine that's long since defunct, but there's a magazine called Powerlifting USA. Uh-huh. And he was actually on the cover of Powerlifting USA. And then another fella, uh, Tom Dieters, the, um, uh, also a chiropractor, ended up becoming the editor-in-chief of Muscle and Fitness Magazine. So I trained wow. with some really big dudes and got some just incredible experience you know, uh, with training and, and that kind of fit nicely with chiropractic because I really wanted to go into sports and there's a continuing education, in the chiropractic profession in sports and decided to put it all together, uh, with my lifting knowledge. And then the national strength and conditioning association was a fledgling organization at that time. And they had a certification, which many people think specialists. And I thought, well, how could I possibly treat an athletic injury and not have that certification? Like, how could I really not know training? Right. So I decided to get that as well. And, you know, from the mid-80s through today, I've always put the two together. What, what Drew, you said you took an interest in, in powerlifting and, and just, just weight training in general. What drew you to that field and what made you so passionate about that? Um, you know, I've always been into fitness I wish I had parents that pushed me a little harder and were a little bit more knowledgeable about sports. Kind of wish I uh, kind of wish I would have wrestled, frankly, um, yeah. as a sport for me. I wasn't uh, wasn't, and I'm not a big guy, but always pretty strong and could move uh, very well. But I got into push-ups and pull-ups, sit-ups, that kind of thing, and then uh, met some fraternity brothers who got me into the weight training. And, and just really enjoyed it. You know, I also did some running. Actually, my my first very good friend in college was a marathon runner, so I ended up running a couple of marathons in college, but quickly realized my body was better suited to the weights. Right. Um, and, and started to really hit that pretty hard and just was super fortunate to come upon some really skilled and knowledgeable people that could steer me in the right direction. Um, so just, just love that area. And that just blossomed into, you know, training athletes and getting, you know, did a little bit, uh, just personally, of track and field and had a bunch of really good mentors in that area as well, because as you know, you know, a really big, strong, uh, guy is not necessarily a great athlete, right? That's why the leaderboards in the, uh, strength and conditioning rooms are mostly removed these days. We don't really care if you're a lineman who's got the best clean. We care that you can move three steps to the right and three steps to the left and either block or, you know, depending on whether you're offensive or defense, get past the blocker or block the, uh, the you know, defensive guy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, the, that's, what's, that's what's really important. So it's kind of having that knowledge where you can take that strength, but, make it power, right? right because right. the you know, power has a time component and in sports the greatest athlete is really the one who can flip the switch fastest, right? Right. And stop the start. 
Yeah, and, and we're going to jump into that, and that's really going to take up a lot of the, the meat of our discussion today. But before we get into that, uh, walk us through, I mentioned these in, in our introduction, but walk us through some of these, some of your experiences and certifications, because it's really some interesting stuff. And I'll just read off a few, and you can comment on these if you want, or if there's some that I leave off, you can you can comment on those as well. But uh, a member of the 1996 United States Olympic Team Medical Staff, uh, Chairman of Maryland Council on Physical Fitness from 2002-2004, uh, Maryland Chairman National Strength and Conditioning Association from 2004 to 2010, so, you know, those are some pretty prestigious positions that you held. So just, I guess, go through some of those and talk about those a little bit and how you got involved with those things. Yeah, you know, the Olympic thing was really, really special. Um, try to make it a short story here. When I uh, finished chiropractic school, um, I ended up moving down to from New Jersey, where I'm from, uh, to Maryland to set up a practice and um, got very fortunate to get hooked up with George Mason University, which is in Northern Virginia. So uh-huh. I practice in Maryland, but you have, you know, the Southern Maryland and Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, kind of that tri-state-ish area, just like the New York area, you know, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut. And uh, they had a big track meet there called the Mobile One Invitational. And that um, track meet was uh, basically a preview for the Milrose game. So all the track and field enthusiasts will know what I'm talking about, the big Milrose games in New York. And they used to have the Mobile One Invitational. Mobile would sponsor track meet at George Mason University's field house. And I, when I moved down there, I thought, I want to be the chiropractor for that track and field meet. And um, fortunately, the head athletic trainer for George Mason University was very pro-chiropractic and used chiropractors, but never really found one that honestly jived with the orthopedic surgeon who was not very, frankly, wanting to have a chiropractor on the medical staff. So the short story is, you know, they brought me in. I met the trainer. We instantly hit it off. Uh, His name is Frank Novikovsky, still one of my best friends all these years later. And um, I worked basically a half a season under Coach John Cook and Frank. And John Cook was a top track coach. He eventually went to Nike one of the top track coaches in the United States. And basically at the end of the season, he said, Steve, you know, we really got to share what you're doing with Dr. Patron, who's the head orthopedic surgeon. He said, "Um, we're going to have a meeting and Dr. Patron's going to tell you all the things that he doesn't want you to do. And you're just going to sit there and shut up for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it takes him. And at the end of the meeting, you're going to say three words to him. You're going to say, yes, Dr. Patron. (laughs) <laughs> so that's exactly what happened. And at the end of the meeting, Coach Cook said, good, now we can do whatever the blank, blank we want. We got the thumbs up. And uh, it ended up that Dr. Patron and I, while not becoming friends, so to speak, he ended up referring me patients because I took proper notes and I shared what I was doing. And, you know, I, I didn't try to become the boss. We worked as a team. You know, we had a right. phenomenal team where – you know, and, and coaches, please listen to this, that the head coach, the athletic trainer, and the entire medical staff were all on the same page. And this goes back to the late 80s, early 90s. They were all on the same page. And please listen up again. Who was the beneficiary of this? The athlete. Yeah. And isn't that the name of the game? Yes. We're all there for one reason, for the kids, for yep. the athletes. So the beneficiary of everybody being on the same page 
no contentiousness. Everybody's there to do one thing and one thing only, do the best we can do for the athlete. And it, it, I have to say that that was the most special years of my career when it came to athletic performance. And I've honestly never been able to replicate them all these years later. It was just a very, very, very special group of people. And we were all on the same page. And I'll tell you what, as a track and field team, we kicked everybody's patooties. I mean, we kicked everybody's butt yeah. and waved to Sundays. And uh, it was awesome. So that is what led me to the Olympics because the head trainer there had, uh, had gone out to the United States Olympic Training Center as part of their volunteer sports medicine program in 1992. And he brought an application back from the Olympic Training Center for me. He said, Steve, why don't you throw this out? I said, come on, Frank, I'll never get to go to the Olympics. Are you kidding me? This is like so far-fetched. So I filled out the application, and it was two years later that I get a call at my office, and my staff comes running into the room saying, a doc, there's a call from the Olympic Committee. And I really thought it was one of my fraternity brothers playing a joke on me. Yeah, yeah. And so I picked up the phone, and I was kind of curt and maybe not so nice. And I'm like, yeah, who's this? And then the woman's like, uh, my name's so-and-so from the United States Committee, Olympic Committee. And I took a big gulp. And she said, I, I just want to corroborate, you know, confirm some of your demographic information. I thought, oh, my God. The United States Olympic Committee is calling Steve. You got to be kidding me! Yeah. Well, you know, about a month later, I got an invite to go to the United States Olympic Training Center in 1994 and spend 15 days out there. And the short story is, after going to several events, you know, I kept being invited back, which was a nice thing. And then I got, you know, what I call the big letter, the letter inviting me to become part of the United States Olympic team's medical staff in 1996, which to say the least is a huge honor. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, in this that that uh, that that moment in in your in your uh, career when uh, the training staff and the coaching staff, everyone was on the same page and aligned. And that's really going to kind of help us segue into uh, what we're really talking about today. And that is safety and preparation when it comes to training athletes and in, in particular, uh, amateur athletes. Um, and so w what is your message or platform that you're wanting to shed light on when it comes to amateur sports and safety and preparedness on the part of coaches and parents alike? You know, my Olympic experience really brought the safety aspect out. So when I had moved to Maryland, in the state of Maryland, there are still, still to this day, very few athletic trainers. So there's a state-mandated course for all public high school coaches called Care and Prevention of Athletic Injuries. And um, I, I was invited to be a speaker on one particular topic, and I did that for about 15 years. And then the last nine years I was in Maryland, I became co-chair of the entire course for Montgomery County, Maryland, which is a county of a, you know, a million people and 27 high schools and huge county. And, um, you know, I just saw the, the lack of safety preparedness, especially at the youth level. And when I say youth, I don't mean high school. I mean pre-high school. I mean the kids 5, 6, 7, till 13, 14, um, where we have parent-to-our coaching, well-meaning, but honestly the most poorly prepared people, with kids who are the most susceptible to injury. So that's the fast forward to the development of something called team safe sports. So when you don't have an athletic trainer, and of course, 
Do we want an athletic trainer at every high school, at every middle school, and at every youth sports event? Well, of course we do. It's foolish to not want to have that. But unfortunately, it's not reality. Right. So what we really do need is some type of a system. It's kind of like at McDonald's. You cannot deviate from the system. Otherwise, the hamburger or the salad or the chicken sandwich doesn't come out the same. Right. So you need a system that keeps everybody hint hint on the same page. You know, why why do you need a sports physical for a high school athlete but not for your eight or ten year old? I mean, does that make sense? Right. Why, you know, we just registered we have a twelve year old, he's going into seventh grade. So we just registered him with the school system. I had to answer questions. Does your kid have sickle cell trait? Does your kid have asthma does your kid need an EpiPen? well why are you not answering the same questions when you register him in soccer because those problems are more likely to be exhibited in the sports than they are in school so why is this not being done right and nobody's on the same page so you know this system will keep everybody on the same page you know think of that you're the coach and now you have your entire roster it's on your phone you can tap on the kid you can find out the emergency contacts, the medical history, if the kid has a possible concussion, you can record signs, you can record symptoms, you have an injury incident report, you can create a heat plan. You know, there was just a story that a trainer, an athletic trainer posted on Twitter uh, up in Oklahoma, and he said, you know, the football coach has us out on the field today, and he's telling the kids it's not that hot. And the guy posts an image of, you know, the weather saying it's 101 degrees, feels like 107. Yeah. And I said, you know, do you have the ice baths and the, you know, pop-up tent for shade on the sidelines for the water breaks? And the answer is no. Mom and dad, really? You know, I'm from Brooklyn. Uh, and, you know, I may only be 5'8", 170, but I don't care if you're 6'6", 350. I will be in your face on a stool if you don't have that on the sidelines. Go. If, you know, the other part of it is I think you're foolish if you're not outside a little bit because the kids will never get acclimated. Yeah. But there's just a right way and a wrong way to do it. Right. And I, I see a lot of a wrong way. And as you can tell from my background, you know, I still compete in weightlifting and I train hard. I'll invite anybody to come train in my garage with me and, you know, still wish him good luck. I mean, I really do train that hard. Um, but there's just a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I see too much wrong. Yeah, it, it, it we're kind of, um, I think in the last maybe decade or so, I think you're seeing a shift in. Uh, the thinking of most coaches, and I say most because not all, as you mentioned, uh, you referenced someone there, uh, that, that you, you're a, a transition from the junction boys mentality, you know, Bear Bryant taking those guys out, you know, from, from, yep. from A&M out there and, you know, no water breaks and practicing in a field with goat heads, you know, they're getting stuck in the guys' pads and, and legs and everything and, and really associating that with making your kids tougher. Right. And, and that's sort of a, a touchy subject that that we don't want our kids being soft and that sometimes there's a, uh, a stigma that goes with you know, giving kids water and getting them in the shade is, is going to make them soft. So talk about that and that mentality and how dangerous that can be uh, in today's uh, athletic landscape. Yeah. You know why? Why? If, if you know anything about training, 
an athlete and you know even more specifically, you know, what are the athlete's physical requirements, the individual, and then what are the sport requirements, and then you can get even more granular going by position. So why did they take Jordan McNair, a 300-plus-pound offensive lineman, why did they take Braden Bradforth, a 300-pound offensive lineman, and why on the first practice back from a break did they make Jordan McNair run 110-meter sprints and make Braden Bradforth run 36, 50-meter sprints? Is that the way you train a lineman? Last I looked, linemen don't run 100 meters and 50 meters. Give me the big guys. I'll train you to move three to five steps left, right, forward, and back. I will kill you every day. Yeah. I, will, I will show you how to not toe out on that first foot, on that first step. So the other guy, so you either, if you're the offensive guy, you can't block. And if you're the defensive guy, you can't get around the person because your footwork isn't good. Yeah. Why would you destroy a kid on the first day of practice? You know, I go through this, I've had many discussions with my wife, who's a former United States Secret Service agent, and with a lot of military folks. Like, I, I, I truly believe I'm all about testing your mettle. I think this whole mamby-pamby, I don't like it. But do I really, any coach can blow a whistle and break you down on day one. Why wouldn't I want to build you up to the best that I can and then find out what you're made of? Yeah, because on that first day it becomes real risk reward, guys. Risk reward. Your injury potential and serious injury potential is so high by doing that break you down on day one kind of thing. It's like really that's just for you, yeah. coach. Yeah, that's just easy. I can blow a whistle. It's like all these coaches saying I teach speed. Well, no, you're blowing a whistle and you're telling me and you're making the kids throw up. Yeah. That's not teaching speed. Yeah. It's not teaching speed. So, so I, I hope I'm conveying that train, train hard, but training hard and training safe, they just, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right, right. Yeah, and, and it sounds like what you're saying is, is that what it's going to take is a little more uh, thought process into what you're actually trying to get out of the, that practice session or that workout session. And that really the 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 uh, the mindset of a coach should be that you're you're tailoring your workouts or whatever it is you're wanting to accomplish based on that athlete and their needs and their limitations, and it's not a one size fits all deal that that everybody uh, is doing. You know, you're trying to do um, you know fit a uh, a square peg in a round hole type deal. Um, well, so let let me ask you this. So ideally, what what should athletic programs or youth sports organizations have in place? To ensure the safety of their athletes, you know, you mentioned your 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 app that, that you created, Team Safe Sports, which I really want to dive into here in a second. But um, you also, in our in our our discussions before this interview, you sent me a list of some best practices, and, and if you want to get into that, we can. But what are some things, some protocols, or as you mentioned earlier, systems that that uh, high schools or youth sports organizations should have in place uh, at, when, when they get ready to go out to practice or or, or go to games. You know, thank you for asking that. You know, it, it really goes back to what we started with, with what we created at George Mason. Mason, it's please, let's get everybody on the same page. You know, there's this whole business of responsibility and blame, and, and there's just way too much blame. You know, I say there's lack of preparedness 
and then something bad happens. And because of that lack of preparedness, there's a bad outcome. And then there's maybe a horrific outcome. And then there's a lawsuit. And then there's a foundation. And then we rinse and repeat. And it's like, instead of all this contentiousness, I want to create a safety hug, but not a safety huddle where we, you know, kind of get together and do a kumbaya at the beginning of the event. No, we need a safety system that keeps everybody on the same page. So, you know, before we get into the safety checklist, just real briefly, you know, mom and dad, if you know that practice is starting August 1 for fall sports, and your child is in playing Fortnite all summer from the end of May, do you really have the expectation that they're going to be ready for the Texas heat? I mean, really, mom and dad, do you have that expectation? Because I think parents, you got to wake up. Your kid has to be outside a little bit. You know, did your kid have a lawn service job all summer or were they in playing Fortnite all summer? I mean, they can't, you cannot expect your child to be ready to go. So I think there's got to be some parent responsibility with understanding what the needs of the sport are and what the needs of your child are. You know, I know one of my son's friends, he's playing football in seventh grade and he didn't do anything this summer and he can barely keep his eyes open at eight o'clock and he's on day two of school. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, mom and dad, I told you, I told you, please prepare your kid. So he's going to suffer. I'm not sure I understand that. And then, you know, we already talked about coaches. You know, you don't have to do the beatdown on the first day of practice. You don't really ever have to do the beatdown. You can do the challenge later down the line. Please don't do the beatdown. And then administrators don't, don't have a blind eye to this because guess what? With a good attorney, you're on the hook, and you're on the hook personal liability, guys, especially in the league sports world. So that's kind of a nice segue into, you know, a best practices uh, checklist, and I have this on our website, which is teamsafesports.com. You know, we want to do a facility check. You know, we want is somebody responsible for checking the surfaces and clearing debris and checking the training equipment. You know, like in the sport of soccer, the biggest reason for the lawsuits are the goals. And the goals are not set in the ground properly. Like, really? You're not having somebody just kind of walk over and give a little shake and seeing if it's secured to the ground and the net secure and whatnot? Like, these are things that are staggering. Or there was a boy that got impaled in soccer because there was a pole on the ground with a, a metal metal attachment at the end and they didn't see it. Or... You know, in track and field, when the kids are running sprints and the javelin's going on at the same time. Like, really? Who thought of that? Like, people have been impaled, and that's just utter stupidity. It's just, you know, field yeah. management. So please, you know, do a do a facility kind of safety check and, and make sure that all these different things are not going on at the same time so you can make sure it's kind of like in CPR. What's the first thing? Well, survey the scene. Right. Make sure things are safe. Right. You know, and then and then there's coach training. And, you know, these days in the school systems, coach training seems to consist of, you know, first it's concussions and brain injury. Uh, that, that seems to be the lead. And then, you know, now there's the sudden cardiac arrest and then and then the heat. 
but you know, what about asthma and bleeding and broken bones and spine injury? So have a good course that includes all of them. And as part of our platform, I have a course that includes everything and it's done in 90 minutes. Because you know what, if you're, if the kid has a seizure disorder, all I need you to know as a coach, all I need you to know as a parent is, hey parent, it's important to tell the coach that your child has a seizure disorder. And coach, I just need you to know that. I just need you to be aware of that. And then parent and coach, you need to have a quick discussion that says, this is what to look up, this is what to look out for. And if God forbid my kid has a seizure, just hold his head, prevent it from banging on the ground, and time how long that seizure is. That's it. I don't need you to know neuroanatomy. We don't yeah. need to go deeper into that. I just need you to know the basics. Because in most big city areas, you know, your injury response time from an ambulance is going to be pretty quick. Yeah. So we don't have to be concerned about that. So just know the basics, you know, lightning safety. You know, why are there videos online of these ding-dongs keeping the kids out on the field, which these huge storms, and by the way, there are things called apps on your phone, and they'll tell you the weather, you know, and they're pretty accurate. So why aren't you doing these kind of things? Yeah. Or, you know, anaphylaxis, you know, needing an EpiPen, like, Mom and dad, why are you not having that discussion with the coach? Because for the school system, you have that discussion. And by the way, you need two EpiPens. And how do you administer an EpiPen? And parent and coach might you want to have that discussion about the EpiPen ahead of time. So if the kid is eight years old, might it not be a good idea for the coach to have it? Because we realize it's 2019 and many moms and dads many single parents, you know, we work, we can't be at every practice. We try to be at every game, but maybe we can't be at every practice. So maybe the coach needs to have it. Maybe the coach needs to administer it. So they need to know where it is, how to administer it. And oh, by the way, organization, you should have this documented and you should have the consent from the parent, just like the school system does. So these are, you know, coach training and all that emergency action plan. Why are you not creating one? Why are you? Why aren't you knowing that? You know, you need somebody to run out to meet the ambulance because if you're at a high school, that softball field could be weighed. If it's in Texas, man, these high schools are the biggest cities. Yeah. So I guarantee you, the the ambulance knows where the high school is. But where's the softball field? How many gates do they have to get through? Where's that yeah. person who can slab them down and tell them where it is? And then many coaches are not comfortable running out onto the field for an injury, but one of the coaches will be comfortable. So that coach runs out on the field and the other coach deals with the rest of the kids. Because yeah. the rest of the kids are going to be in freak out mode if there's a bad thing happening. Yeah. So making sure that there's that person to calm the rest of the kids down. And most certainly if it's a game to calm the parents down, because you don't need 50,000 people running out onto the field saying, you know, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, so I know what to do. <laughs> then they're yeah. done that, seen that yeah. too many times. Yeah. So emergency action plan, you know, is critical. And having those situation-specific protocols, you know, and having the basic equipment, you know, why doesn't your school have an AED? Why doesn't Rowlett Community Park, and I'll put them on the spot right here in Texas, Rowlett Community Park hosts soccer, host softball, host baseball, host basketball. Why is there not an AED at that park? Yeah. I just am appalled at why there's not a defibrillator at that park. Why isn't there an ice tub? 
and easy up canopy, you know, making sure you can get the kids out of the direct sun. I can train in my garage in the Texas heat. I cannot train in the sun now. No way. Not going to happen. It's brutal. Um, where's the first aid kit? What's in the first aid kit? Who's responsible for that first aid kit? First aid kit, you know, you don't have to have a wilderness first aid kit, folks. Just needs to be a pretty simple fanny pack with some basic things, you know, gloves, gauze. If you're comfortable giving breaths, you know, a good pair of scissors, good sets of band-aids, you know, you don't need a lot. Yeah. Um, why isn't that around your belt? You know, do you have a right. heat monitoring device? Um, and again, the EpiPens and asthma inhalers. And then pre-participation physicals. Why aren't you requiring them, you know, youth leads and organizations? And then in our app, you know, all you got to do is take a picture if you're the parent, and now it's recording. None of this ridiculous administrative work. Go talk to any high school that does pre-participation physicals. It's an administrative paperwork nightmare. It doesn't have to be. Why can't you just go to the doctor, take a picture, done? Now it's recorded. Nobody has to do administrative work. You know, that, those, those kind of things. And then where is the emergency contact? The coaches should have that on the sidelines. And please don't tell me it's in a three-ring binder. It's 2019 for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, wink, wink, it's in a three-ring binder. Really? Talk to any paramedic. Have they ever seen a three-ring binder on the sidelines? <laughs> Very doubtful. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then there's, you know, the kind of communication, you know, the remove from play, return to play. Where's the concussion note? You know, why is there a boy in, in, in Montana, uh, Robert Back, videos on our homepage. Why is he a quadriplegic? Well, it all came down to the uh, return to play note. Um, they said he gave the note to the coach. You know, he was supposed to be out. He was not supposed to play that Friday night. He, he got injured. He was not supposed to play the next Friday night. Somehow he played. He's a quadriplegic who can only communicate with his eyes. They said he had the return to play note. Well, if mom and dad could have taken a picture of the return to play note, and that return to play note would have been in the system that would have immediately, you know, texted it uh, and, and recorded it and sent it to the principal, the athletic director, all the administrators, everybody in question, all the, quote, stakeholders. Maybe he wouldn't have played that Friday night. Yeah so simple it's right. so frustrating it's like i love new sports my most fond memories of childhood are youth sports i love youth sports but for crying out loud we can be safe well you hear the passion in my voice yeah like, i don't want it to be mutually exclusive it's so doable and so easy so if I'm if I'm listening to all of that 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 uh, list of best practices that you that you that you reeled off, and let's say that I'm a coach listening to this, and I'm going, you know, I don't. There's a lot of those things that I don't have in place. Um, whose responsibility uh, is it to get that together? Is that on the trainer? If if my school has a trainer, is that is that something that as an assistant coach I need to go to that trainer and go, hey. What are we doing about this? What's our what's our plan for this? Uh, how do I get that ball rolling there to, to get that started if those things aren't in place at the at the organization that I'm a part of? Well, hopefully it starts with both the administrator and the parent. And, and hopefully, you know, if you're a coach, you're like, I need some guidance. You know, yeah. we should be helping the coaches. Yeah. We shouldn't be contentious with it. We should be helping the coaches, providing the systems for the coaches, providing the education for the coaches, you know, parents need to advocate, you know, parents, you need to go to that football coach in Oklahoma and line up at his front door and say, uh, excuse me, 
But here's, you know, $120. That will pay for the ice tub and that will pay for the canopy. Yeah. $120. Let me repeat that. We'll pay for the ice tub and we'll pay for the canopy. There's a sale at Academy Sports. <laughs> yeah. The the canopy is 35 bucks and the ice tub's 80. Like, really? Yeah. Hello? You know, so I, I think responsibility needs to be had by all. But I'm most concerned at the youth level where there's just a goose egg. Yeah. So, you know, I figured out a way. Thankfully, I have a partner called Fund My Team, which is a fundraising uh, company that will help youth uh, leagues raise funds. So now I can help provide Team Safe Sports at no cost. You know, if these organizations would just do a fundraiser, right. it's just so simple. Just upload your kids and everybody be on the same page. And, you know, when parents say, oh, my gosh, I have to put my kid's picture in the app. I'm like, well, number one, you put your kid's picture on Facebook. And number two, how's a paramedic going to identify your kid on the ground? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. That's really yeah. a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Mom and Dad. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. Because I want my kid in that app. If I'm not there, you better believe it. I want I want my kid to be able to be identified properly. Let, let's let's talk right. about let's talk about Team Say Sports uh, really quick. Now, if I if I have Team Say Sports downloaded on my phone and I'm using that program, does it have all of those things from that best practices list that's listed on your website? Does it t- does it have all of that infrastructure in there so that I can plug that information into that app and have it on my phone? It has everything. You know, this literally comes from a from Steve Horowitz's lack, you know, lack of confidence and utter frustration that nothing like this exists um, at the youth sports level. It's like, why isn't there a layperson usable? And I emphasize layperson. It's got to be usable by a, a layperson without yeah. fancy medical language but has everything in it that you could possibly want. So once again, you know, all the league has to do is give us a spreadsheet with first name, last name, child, first name, last name, parent, email, coach's first name, last name, email, you know, date of birth, and we're off to the races. And then everybody uploads, the parent gets asked 12 questions about, you know, it's very simple medical history. It's all on Amazon servers, so it's safe. You know, I mean, the the biggest financial institutions have been hacked. So can I promise it won't be hacked? No. But if Equifax was hacked, you know, anybody could be hacked. Yeah. So um, it's on all the Amazon servers. It's it's as safe as could possibly be safe. We take that very seriously. Again, my wife is a former United States Secret Service agent. So safety and, you know, documentation and, and, and privacy is really, really, really important to me. So it's got to be safe, but yes, everything is there. And then voila, it all populates for the coach. And then the league administrator can follow everything via a web portal and can track concussions and get injury reports. And then we can help supervise it, you know, remotely and, and, and help that concussion protocol. Because again, in the high schools, they're in a, in a, some high schools, there's full-time athletic trainers, but only about a third of the high schools have one full-time athletic trainer. Yeah. So who's super, who's supervising that return to play so that child who has a possible concussion? Yeah. You know where is that return to play note? So you know when we tested this with um, North Texas Soccer's Olympic Development Program, you know the head guy there said, "Wow, we love it because you know when we have tournaments, 
we we partner up with only certain physicians' offices because our parents will run to the little emerging men down the street and get some scribble note on a scribble pad that says the kid can return to play and that's not okay. And like, hey, hooray, we agree that's not okay. Yeah. So we, I even took the trouble to go through just about every state's high school return to play note. And I made a best of, and trust me, it's it's a work in progress, right? So I will be open to any suggestion. But we, we made a one-page doctor's note that's standardized. So now the administrator can look for that note. So it's got to be that note. The doctor's got to sign that note. So it's crystal clear as to what that return to play date looks like. Yeah. Because in the high school system, return to play actually means return to the return to play protocol, which is a five or six step process where the child has to go through steps. But in the high school, the athletic trainer is supervising those steps. There's no, nobody supervising 10 year old Johnny and Rowlett soccer. Yeah. So if I'm a, if I'm a high school coach that has a trainer, uh, but even those guys, you know, they can be, you know, they got a lot of a lot of things to be responsible for. Uh, is this something that that can kind of help help the training staff and help supplement what they're doing, uh, especially as you get teams who are, you know, traveling for you know away games on the road. You got two or three teams all, you know, in different spots at one time. Is this something that can kind of go along and help that trainer sort of multiply themselves and be at more than one place uh, at one time? Absolutely. You know, talk to any athletic trainer. They're just inundated with work and you really don't want them spending time documenting. You know, that's the frustration. Most medical professionals these days with, you know, electronic health record systems and whatnot, we spend, spend our days documenting instead of doing patient care. But with athletic trainer, you want the documentation as quick and as easy as possible so they can attend to the kids. So absolutely, we prefer that our system be overseen by an athletic trainer. Yeah. That's the ideal world. Yeah. Yeah. But the athletic trainer, if they're at football and in certain parts of the country, soccer is also a fall sport or whatever, you know, there may be five or six or even 10 different fall sports. Well, if there's only one athletic trainer, you know, that athletic trainer is going to be a football. Well, what about the other sports? Right. So that athletic trainer can still provide oversight for all those other sports because the coach can be taught to use our system, which is what it's designed for. And then the athletic trainer can see, oh, Coach Smith pulled Johnny for a possible concussion. Let me look at the injury report here and provide guidance for that. Yeah. And now the athletic trainer is also getting um, communication real time immediately. And mom and dad and athletic director are also getting communication. So once again, it goes back to just what we started with which will probably be what we end with, keeping everybody on the same page in real time. Yes. So if I if I want to download Team Say Sports and begin using it, talk to me about that process, about where I can find it. Uh, once I once I download it, uh, what what do I need to do to get it up and running and get my teams, my my athletes loaded up there? Just kind of start me out if I'm if I'm if I'm wanting to use Team Say Sports. Talk to me about that and how, how I go about doing that simple teamsafesports.com there's right at the top it says get team safe and it literally walks you through it um you just uh, there's a template spreadsheet that i have 
And if you're somewhat Excel spreadsheet, CSV spreadsheet savvy, you know, you can fill it out yourself. Otherwise, you can send us whatever you've got because everybody uses a different system. You know, there's a zillion different ways people keep records these days. But once again, all I need is those simple information. So you download the spreadsheet, send it to us. We upload it, you're in. It literally can be that easy. And then if you'll just use Fund My Team as a fundraiser, we don't have to charge you anything. Um, because you'll do a 25-day fundraiser that won't cost you a dime and raise money for safety. And on top of that, we have now connections with some great charitable organizations, so we can actually get you the AED for free, donated. We can get you the ice tub for free, donated. So now you have both the system and you have what you need you know, the AED and the ice tub yeah. and you're good to go. I mean, how great is that, that yeah. you can have a system which keeps everybody on the same page and you need the AED, you have to have that, you know, talking right. about it is, is great. And even training everybody in CPR is great, but without that AED, you're handcuffed. Yeah. Without that ice tub, you can take a course on the heat, but you know, state of Florida, you require your coaches to take a course on the heat and that course says, you have to have an ice tub, but you don't require the ice tub. Right. Really? Yeah. That doesn't make much sense. Yeah. So we can provide everything for you. And so it sounds like it's if, just literally that easy. Yeah, and it sounds like if I'm an athletic program, an organization that that is low on funds, that there are ways that I can get this uh, program paid for through a, a simple fundraiser. Is that is that is that correct? That's it. You know, fund my team has a simple structure. If they don't raise money. They take um, 15%, and so if you raise $1,000, they take 150 and you have $850, you know, and they're very good at raising, helping you raise money. They're very professional. Um, it, it's it's one of the nicest funding programs I've ever seen because it's extremely professionally done. You work with an advisor or a captain. It's 25 days. They don't bug you for the year. You, you bring this out to your parents and when you tell the parents we're raising money for safety, yeah, like yeah. what parent isn't going to give a couple of dollars? Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if you raise 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 a kid, you know, so simple. And then everything done, you're done. You yeah. don't need any more money. And most probably we'll be able to give back a considerable chunk of that money to the organization. Yeah. I, I, I got to imagine if parents are willing to, to fork over money for new uniforms, that they would be willing to fork over some money for a, a safety program to uh, to ensure that their kids are getting the uh, the medical care that they need in case something does happen. Yeah, I'm going to put some pressure on the parents. Like my son, he played uh, in a touch football organization for the springtime. It cost us $15 for his socks. <laughs> socks. Please put the fifteen dollars into the safety. Please, yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. Well, so so you mentioned uh, earlier in the episode about when you were at George Mason and how that was a really great time for you because everyone was on the same page. And so I want to circle back to that and 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 give us some examples of coaches or programs uh, who you've witnessed either currently or maybe in the past, but who are doing it right when it comes to training their athletes, when it comes to having a system in place. Give us some examples of the things they're doing uh, so that we who are maybe um, 
you know, needing to improve in that area, that, that, something that we can kind of see uh, an example of a program who's got it, who's got it, got the right idea. Yeah, it, it really is going to stem from the coach. You know, that the coach just has to be open to this. And, and if the coaches are just open, you know, be open to your strength and conditioning professional. Be open to your athletic trainer. You know, be open to parent suggestions. And, and I get it. I get it. Does every athlete come to you first day of practice ready to go because they did their preseason, you know, conditioning and training properly? No, I know. They don't. <laughs> the majority don't. I get it. I totally get it. Been a coach. Been there. Frustrated as all get out. But, you know, why is there, why is there contentiousness? If the, if the head coach and the athletic trainer and the strength and conditioning professional, you know, I, I see, frankly, too much contentiousness between athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches. And I'm just like, wow, you guys should be like hugging in the best buddies on the planet. Yeah. You guys should be totally together. And then, you know, um, coaches, you know, in, in the science, in the medical literature, um, there's uh, information about injury prevention programs, especially for things like ACL and hamstrings. And there's lots of studied, well-studied supported programs. And I know coaches will say, you know, oh, you know, with the scientific literature, you know, it's all about practical. And, and frankly, you know, I always joke because I get, I get the beat down from the scientists who say I'm not, you know, I don't take the literature um, seriously enough, and then I get the beat down from the, you know, the coaches and whatnot, who who say, you know, you're too sciency and you're not, you know, practical enough, and and it's like, great, if I'm getting the beat down from both sides, then I know I'm right in the middle and it's perfect, yeah. because I want to read the scientific literature. I don't want to be a ding dong. I need to know what the scientific literature says, but I also need to know how to practically apply it. Right. So I've really worked on that skill set. And it's like coaches, there are injury prevention protocols that will absolutely work. And guess what? Injury prevention is the same exact thing as sports performance. So if you do the ACL injury prevention protocols, your kids are actually going to be better. And if you stop doing, everybody does a quote warm-up, right? So if you just would take that 15-minute warm-up and listen to your strength and conditioning coach, and maybe if your sport is not track and field, maybe you'll actually enlist the help of the track and field coach because I can promise you, and I'm going to send a lot of people here, coaches, your kids don't know how to run. And I'll say it a hundred times. Football, basketball, soccer. I've had so many soccer coaches tell me, I teach the kids how to run. No, you don't. I don't teach the kids soccer, but you don't teach your kids how to sprint. Period. You don't know how to sprint. You don't have to know everything. There's great track coaches. Enlist the help of your track coach. Teach your kids how to run. Teach your kids sprinting mechanics. Guess what? Those same sprinting mechanics are also the same things we do in injury prevention programs for injury prevention mechanics, right? So proper squat technique, let your coaches, let your strength and conditioning coaches show the kids squatting. And, you know, different people have different feelings on that. And, you know, guys, you know, the the first day doesn't have to be be the beat down in the gym if it's football. You know, why are you taking that, that seventh grader and loading their spine the first day? 
you know, why, why are you doing that when the kid can't even do a bodyweight squat? Yeah. You know, I don't care that the kid's 6'1", 250, 12, whatever. It doesn't mean he can squat. Yeah. I love heavy weightlifting. That's yeah. what I do. I'm so passionate about it. But I'm also passionate about not hurting a kid. And I've right. had spinal compression fractures and wrist fractures from coaches who think they know how to do cleans and power cleans. And you don't even know the difference between power cleans and a regular clean. And, you know, you enlist your weightlifting coach. And by the way, weightlifting doesn't mean resistance training. Weightlifting means weightlifting, snatch, clean, and jerk. You need to know that. And if you're a coach and you're going to train that, enlist the coach. So it all goes back to everybody being on the, on the same page. And there's some great people to follow on Twitter for uh for this and we can even put a list together for people they're so knowledgeable yeah I, I, just be open just be open to learning that because it's going to help your athlete yeah it sounds like what you're saying is there needs to be some collaboration uh between the coaching staff training staff uh you know we had coach uh red brock who is a uh, strength conditioning uh coach and certified strength coach here uh, on uh previously on this podcast uh who and and it you know, it sounds like we need to, you know, have some collaboration between those those guys, and there needs to be some open dialogue, and everybody needs to be on the same page about what our plan is, what our system is, uh, who's going to be that coach that's going to do this, this, and this. You know, everyone has a duty. Everyone has there because probably what's going on right now is there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of conversations devoted to, uh, you know, practices and 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 schemes that we're going to install and things like that but at the beginning of the season and maybe throughout the year maybe a little you know a few conversations here and there of of hey here's here's our protocols and here's what we're going to do let's make sure everybody's on the same page and and also a lot of surrendering of egos uh Uh, uh, so um so let's talk about this as as we get ready to uh to to wrap this thing up a little bit i want to go back to uh your days uh as uh, working um working on the the olympic medical uh, medical staff uh talk to us are there any interesting stories you have an interesting story from your time the working uh, on the uh medical staff for, for the 96 olympics oh gosh i i just had so many stories you know i um you know, one of the most thrilling things was I got to walk an opening ceremony. So we actually drew straws and, um, you know, we got the goofy outfits. Uh, all of us got the goofy outfits, uh, but we drew straws and some of us were going to be able to walk in opening ceremonies and some of us were going to be able to go to the White House afterwards. So yeah. I drew the straw and I got to actually walk in opening ceremonies at the Olympic Games. Wow. And, you know, it was Muhammad Ali that lived the torch yeah. when I was yeah. there. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, and I literally floated around the track. It was so exciting, and I thought, wow, there's Sylvester Stallone and, you know, all these high-powered people in the audience. I'm walking on the track in opening ceremonies at the Olympic Games. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was that was an incredible uh, thriller. But I have you know lots of uh, wonderful thank you notes. You know I have one on my wall. Get at it right now from um, uh, Sheila Tormina. So Sheila was a uh, top swimmer and she was there to swim in in the relays. She was the oldest swimmer on the team. And it says, uh, Doctor Steve, thank you very much for helping me get ready for my race. 
you are the reason why I'm going home with a gold medal and American record. I seriously don't think I could have performed to my best without your help, Sheila Tormina. Wow. Doesn't get any better than that, right? Yeah. You know, I have one from, you know, really interesting young woman, Marissa Padula. So she was one match away from a bronze medal. And here she was. She had a, um, she just gotten uh, married. She's thinking about life, you know, having kids. You know, what's the next step? Just fascinating young woman to, to talk to. But, you know, closing ceremonies are this evening, wrapping up an incredible Olympic Games. One of the best parts of this experience has been the U.S. Olympic medical staff supporting the athletes. I've never been around such a hardworking professional group of people at any event. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. I never felt or fought better, and I credit the great staff of the U.S. medical team, particularly your treatments. You know, I yeah. mean, how, how great is that to get those kind of responses from athletes? And there are so many, so many like that. Yeah. That you're, you're getting to work with them one-on-one. And it was the only time in my life where, you know, I'm watching the, the you know, the news and I'm watching, I guess it was NBC that was covering the Olympics and there's all sorts of reports. And for the only time in my life, I was like, I was on the inside and we're all watching the TV saying, no, that's not right. No, that's, that's really not what's happening here. And no, the athlete actually didn't say that. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool to be on the inside. Yeah. Well, Yeah, I can just imagine. I mean, most of us will never know what that's like to be able to be a part of opening ceremonies and have a have a a uh, direct impact uh, on Olympic athletes like that. So I can imagine uh, that's got to be really, really special. Okay, a couple things that that jumped out to me um, from your I will again looking over your certifications in your bio. First of all, I got to mention this uh, uh, tactical strength. Challenge Men's Masters Champion, April 2016, October 2016, and then USPA Texas State deadlift record, 181-pound Masters, so age 55 to 59, 501.5 pounds. That was this past March. Uh, So, again, we could really jump into that and spend a lot of time talking about those two things. That's amazing uh, in and of itself. But I want to know, it says certified, I'm looking at your list of certifications, certified in Graston Technique and certified in dry needling. Now I'm looking over those things and I don't know what in the heck either one of those things are. So tell me what, what those are. So they're different techniques to take care of um, muscle type of injuries. So uh, Graston technique are these metal or resin implements that you're rubbing on tissue. So let's say you have a hamstring injury. You're basically, you're using uh, a type of lotion and you're, you're rubbing on it to break up the tightness in, okay. the, in the tissue. Okay. Actually, they're, they're very effective techniques. And dry needling, oh boy, there's a lot of contentiousness around dry needling uh, from the acupuncture community. Um, but it's basically taking a, a needle and putting it into a muscle. And just the effect of inserting the needle into the muscle can kind of calm the muscle down. It's definitely a very specific skill set. Um, somebody needs to be very, very well trained in doing this because it's really not dangerous per se. I mean, certain areas of the body, you know, around the ribs, for instance, if you stick it in wrong, yeah, you could puncture a lung. So you do have to know what you're doing. But um, by and large, you know, with any of these techniques, it's really not, probably the main message here is it's not the technique. 
So somebody uses their hands, I don't really care what they call the technique or what technique they're certified in, but if they're just really good at it, go to them. Yeah. Talk to people, get referrals. It, it, it almost, you know, at this stage of my career, I've seen so many different things and taken so many courses. If the person's really, really good at it and passionate about it, they're probably going to get you better. Yeah. They, yeah. Because they care. Yeah. You know, so there's so many really good techniques and it's just, I think of it as more tools in the toolbox. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, last, last question that I'll ask you and, and, and again, this is another question that we could really unpack and spend a lot of time on, but you know, I, we haven't talked about nutrition yet. And, and, and we talked about the, the onus a lot is on, is on parents preparing their kids on coaches, having a plan and on trainers, um, you know, being prepared and having a, you know, following a list of best practices. But I know a lot of kids, you know, we had practice, um, at, at, at six o'clock this morning and, you know, you, you, you go through a workout like that. And, and a big deal, a big thing that we run into is kids aren't eating, you know, when they are eating, it's, it's not the right stuff. So talk to us about the importance of nutrition and what are some tips that you have for us coaches who are really trying to get our kids to eat and we can't always be there to control what they eat and when they eat. So help us out with that and talk to us a little bit about the importance of nutrition. Well, needless to say, nutrition is, is huge. The, the current research just shows, for instance, the importance of protein. And this, oh boy, this can just be so contentious uh, because you have your vegans, vegetarians, paleo, carnivore, keto. Uh, it can get kind of quite contentious. But um, if you follow people like uh, Professor Stu Phillips from Canada and, and you read the research on, on protein and uh, Dr. Paul Arciero, um, another protein researcher, there are so many, you know, protein is probably the single most important nutrient that I can tell people that you've just got to have that. Your kids got to have that. They've got to have that for their bones and muscles. So they've just got to eat. Um, and I, I would much prefer everybody do it with real food. That is always, always, always my, my preference. But the reality of schedules honestly requires a protein shake. It just does. Because, you know, like you said, uh, the kids here also in Texas, you know, you got your early morning practice. And then do they really have time to get breakfast at school? And then what's being served? So if they have time, please. I'm not saying protein shakes instead of food. Um, I would prefer you eat food and real food. Um, but the the ability to get, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished, ground beef, um, you know, food without all the extra antibiotics and hormones and whatnot, ugh, probably not going to happen. So I struggle with that all the time. Yeah. So does my son use the protein shakes when, when we need to? We sure do if he just doesn't feel like eating. Um, but most of these kids, you know, I had a, had a talk with um, the quarterback from that team that my uh, son played on in the spring. And he's a pretty good quarterback. And we talked about that because he was going to be um, training for tackle, um, and which he's playing now. And we, I, I had him, I had the dad download an app and I'm like, please just take a couple of days to a week and just document what your kid's input is. So at least now we know what to talk about, right? So just get educated. There's an app called Chronometer 
um, C, I think it's C-R-O-N-O-N-E-T-E-R. It's free, chronometer, and you, it's very easy to log. That's probably my favorite one because it's so easy. Most foods are in there, and you can create custom things. And you don't have to do this forever, but just take a couple of days and actually see what is your kid taking in? What are you taking in for that matter? what is your kid taking in? And I'm like, dad, I guarantee you your kid isn't getting enough protein. And he came back and he did it for a week and he goes, oh my God, it was like, you know, 40 or 50 grams. It was horrible. It was so little. I'm like, I get it. I see. So just get educated that way. And we, we could certainly do a whole nother podcast on, you know, nutrition and whatnot, but just start by learning what's actually going on in your household. So we're talking apples to apples. And then what I like to do is just, Let's not give you a sheet of paper and tell you you have to do this. Let's find out what you're currently doing and use that as a starting point at which to educate you from, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Horowitz, thank you so much. Great stuff today. Before we let you go, tell us, uh, I'm going to have your contact information in the show notes so, so uh, everyone can go and check that stuff out if they, uh, they want to get in touch with you. But just tell us the best way to get a hold of you and where we can get, get this information that you've shared with us today. Talk to us a little bit about that. It's teamsafesports.com. My email is Dr. Steve, so D-R-S-T-E-V-E at Team Safe Sports. I'm on Twitter at Team, everything is Team Safe Sports. So Twitter, Instagram, um, that's, I probably use Twitter more than Instagram, so you can certainly tweet to me. Um, I also have a feed that, that, that's just at Dr. Horowitz, D-R-H-O-R-W-I-T-Z. But for the Team Safe Sports, it's just Team Safe Sports or, or my email. Um, just reach out. You know, um, our, our, our 800 number is 800-400-4995. Easy number. So just reach out. I love answering questions. You know, if I can provide guidance for people you know, at this stage of my life, I just want the kids to be safe. And I want to see you, you know, say, you know, I got the most, when the kid's older, I want them to have a big smile on their face and say, you know, I got the most out of sports that I could possibly get. Yeah. Did I make the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball or whatever? Well, we know that very few people are going to do that. But, you know, did I make D1? Well, maybe I made D3. Maybe I played in high school, but I got the big smile and I got the most out of my body. And now I'm not crippled for the rest of my life either. Well, great stuff today, Dr. Horowitz. And, and thank you so much for, for taking some time to talk with us today. And um, really uh, gave us a lot to, to, to think about. So thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Thank you very much, Ty. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Dr. Horowitz for talking with us today. Be sure to check out Team Safe Sports website, which is teamsafesports.com and the link for that site can be found in the show notes of this episode along with some other helpful information that I think that you'll want to check out. Uh, That link, by the way, will walk you through the Team Safe Sports program as well as provide parents and coaches with resources like the list of best practices that we discussed uh, earlier in today's episode. Our quote of the day actually comes from the Team Safe Sports website and is the premise behind the crusade that Dr. Horowitz is fighting when it comes to the safety of young athletes. And Our quote of the day is It won't happen to us till it does. Coaches, be smart and have a plan when it comes to training your athletes. And keep tuning in each week to KYPD all season long for great content that will help you be a better coach 
And if today is your first time checking us out, I'm going to tell you something the rest of these guys already know. Keep your pads down. <laughs>